Welcome to the Therapist Thrival Guide. My name is Miranda. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I am here with John Lyon. John, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. My name is John Lyon. I'm also a licensed independent clinical social worker. I've been doing uh, therapy for 16, 17 years now. Um, I am also non-monogamous. I've been working with non-monogamous folks for most of my time as a therapist. Um, And so, like, I know a whole bunch of stuff. So you are the expert to have on this podcast episode because we are talking about, well, number one, this month we're talking about couples therapy. And number two, in this episode, we are talking about poly clients. We're talking about couples therapy with um, non-monogamous folks just wanting to really dive into this topic. And so I'm excited to learn more. And even before we started recording, we were like starting to have conversations about this and you were like, you should just hit record. So I'm excited to jump in. Um, so first off, first question for you is what is the difference between like, uh, a poly couple or a polycule, as you put it, or like mm-hmm. someone who would identify as polyamorous and somebody who just wants to be in a non-monogamous relationship. What's, what are the differences here? So, so one of the, from a clinical point of view, one of the things that we want to be sort of mindful of is that there's a broad, super broad range of non-monogamous folks. Um, and sometimes like the research is not super clear on what term they want to use. Do they want to use ethical non-monogamy, uh, consensual non-monogamy? Like it, the terms seem to vary a lot. Uh, but there are two important axes when we look at how to sort of define um, a relationship. And one is sexual exclusivity and the other is emotional exclusivity. And so so you can chart for for people where they are um, so when we think about like traditional swingers who are highly non-exclusive when it comes to sex, but emotionally they're like, nope, nope, you, you only have emotions, you only have feelings for this one person. And then we have like, like traditional monogamy where you have only feelings for that person and only sex with that person. And then like, and there's just, just a broad range. Um, one of the books that I super highly recommend um, is why is my brain not working and remembering this? Um, Polysecure, Polysecure by Jessica Fern. Um, she does an excellent job sort of laying that out, talking about all the different typologies and where different sort of labels live on that, on that two axis thing. Um, so like the difference between people who are currently sort of out and living in not some flavor of non-monogamy versus people who want really it's just experience and um pain (laughs) that one of the things that's a sort of consistent lesson for folks who want to get into non-monogamy is that there's a lot of cultural understanding that you have to overcome Mm mm-hmm because everything in our culture is built around the idea of monogamy. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of sort of unlearning you have to do as you move into a non-monogamous frame to sort of manage your relationship. Sure. Well, and I would imagine just a lot of, if you're already in a partnership, a lot of communicating, a lot of kind of 
needing to establish ground rules and all of that sort of stuff, which we can kind of get into. Um, but ground rules are one of the classic mistakes. Oh, okay. Do you want to just jump into that? Like, where do you sure. want to go with this conversation first? Um, right. So, so I did a talk on Ellie, uh, the, the Ellie learning system, um, about non-monogamy and what, cause one of the things when I sort of started exploring non-monogamy myself, um, was that there's just so much, there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there. Now, a lot of it is from non-professionals and it's people sort of talking to their experience and like, here's the stuff I've learned. And there's a lot of like hard earned lessons out there that people teach. Um, but I remember having a client come into my office and it, I'm doing the intake. And I'm like, so tell me about your life. And he's like, well, I just moved to the area with my wife and my wife's boyfriend. Like he said, super like, uh, what's, and I'm like, oh, so tell me about your metamor. And like, he just melted. Wait, what is a metamor? What is, what does that so, mean? So a metamor is your partner's partner. Mm. So he, he's married and then his mm-hmm. wife has a boyfriend who was also living with them. And so when I use the proper phrase, you're mm-hmm. tell me about your metamor, because he's not romantically or sexually involved with this person, but his wife, you know, so. Yeah. Like he just sort of went, oh my God, I don't have to explain all this stuff. <sighs> so, so as therapists, there's this strong cultural element of just sort of knowing the terminology, like understanding, you know, what uh, a metamor is, what a thruple mm-hmm. is. Um, a thruple is is a three-person couple. Yep, yep. So in the, the metamor example that you gave, um, would you consider your client, your client wasn't polyamorous? Oh, he was. He was. He was. Okay. Um, he, I don't think he had any additional partners. Okay. Um, but you know, he was poly for, for the purposes of, of things. Yeah. And of course the, the polyamory stuff had nothing to do with his clinical issues, mm-hmm. right? You know, he was, he was there for stuff completely unrelated to that. Sure. Um, but understanding that cultural piece and being able to, to go, Oh, I understand what you're talking about. Yes. And not shaming him. Like, just move things along mm-hmm. miles. That makes so much sense. Yeah. So then why the hesitancy when he said my wife's boyfriend? Was he like kind of feeling you out? He was or? feeling me out. He okay. didn't know how I was going to respond because, yeah. you know, this is North Dakota that I'm in <laughs> and, you know, not super well regarded for their like acceptance. And <laughs> <laughs> sure. Right. So, and, and, Oh, the experience for a lot of poly people is that when they have to tell a, uh, a professional of some sort, <clears throat> you know, I have, I have, this is my relationship structure. They end up having to spend an enormous amount of time justifying yeah. and explaining how it's not wrong and like e- explaining stuff mm-hmm. that they're like, I don't, I'm, I'm here to figure out why my leg is broken. I, I don't want to explain to you about who I live with. Yep. Yep. Nope. That makes sense. So then, I mean, with the different couples that you work with, is there, tell me a little bit more about like, do you do couples work or do you do individual work? Do you do throuple work? Like what is, what's so, typical with your clients? 
typical, it's they have anxiety or depression. They, they have some other mental health stuff. And the poly is just a th- part of them, right? Yeah. And like when we're doing an intake with a person, we say, you know, tell me about, you know, your, your romantic life. Like, who do you live mm-hmm. with? Like, and they tell us and we go, okay, and we mark that down. And then we work on whatever the other thing is. Mm-hmm. Most of the poly people I've worked with, the poly stuff isn't the problem. Right, right. It's all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, just like when we're working with someone with depression, they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm fighting with my wife. Mm-hmm. Poly You're going to go into that. Yeah. Sure. And yeah. it's, and so in a lot of ways, it's no different. Like a person being mm-hmm. poly doesn't change anything really. Mm-hmm. Um, although it does sort of, there is often in my world sort of this expectation, like you're poly you know how I do some of the communication stuff. Yeah. Like, like, cause it, when you work from being monogamous to poly, mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of skills that you have to get better at mm-hmm. if those relationships are going to work. Yeah. And so let's dive into that. Exactly. Yeah. I think this is, this is kind of where I'm interested in exploring more. <clears throat> So if you're working with an individual that maybe hasn't um, come out as poly, maybe they're in a monogamous relationship and they're interested in like testing the waters or they're wanting to communicate or talk through this with, with their partner, um, like an existing partnership that they have, Mm -hmm. what, what does that work look like for you? Or what are some things that you typically will kind of explore with a client? So one of the foundational things that all all relationships are built on, and this is this is one of the like when I was developing the three hour thing, was poly skills for monogamous clients. Because when I started this this journey, I'm like, oh, there's going to be all kinds of crazy things that poly people do that monogamous people need to learn about. And as I really dug into the research and started doing the work, like, yeah, it turns out that no, it, it's just. It's things like trust. Yes, yes. It's basic like, communication skills. Basic communication <laughs> skills. Like yeah. if you're if you're going to have a relationship with other human beings, mm-hmm. you need to have a strong relationship of trust. Yeah. And and poly isn't any different. And so if I'm working with a, a new person or a new couple and they're like, We we really want to explore poly, I'm like, mm-hmm. cool. Let's make sure that you know, like your your levels of trust are really good, that you are being explicit in your communication Mm -hmm. Um, because oftentimes one of those, and this is monogamous people are straight or, or, you know, poly people. They're like, yeah, I'm going to, and they say something with layers of meaning that don't necessarily translate to the other person. And so one of the things I work with a lot of people like, no, you just need to say the things you mean. You need to mean the things you say Mm -hmm. all of the time. And when you teach your partners that you mean what you say every yeah. time, they will believe you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so building a, a, a poly relationship, a non-monogamous relationship, there is oftentimes this period where people like, they, they just, you just talk constantly. Mm-hmm. It's constant talking. Mm-hmm. Of course, what you're doing is you're building trust. Yeah. Right. You're building trust that, my partner is saying the things that they mean, that I can understand what they mean, that I can trust what they're doing and saying. 
And I, I remember very clearly this moment with my wife when uh, we, we'd been doing sort of exploring the poly stuff for, for a, uh, a while, a couple of years. And, and she asked me like, John, do you think this person's cute? And, and Admiral Akbar showed up on my shoulder screaming, it's a trap, it's a trap. <laughs> and I took a deep breath. I calmed mm-hmm. myself. I said, yes, I think they are very attractive. And she went, yeah, I thought you would. And like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and and I was like, I was expecting a big explosion. Interesting. Where? And that's that sort of, I had to learn that it was going to be okay for me to say the things yeah. I actually thought. Yeah. And that there wasn't going to be this huge fight. Mm-hmm. And she had to learn that I was going to say, yes, I think this person's cute. And that yeah. I can think someone's cute and not do anything about it. And like, yeah, I had, a, I had a couple or a client that I was working with a couple of years ago who, um, was kind of running into some relationship problems. Um, she was in a, a partnership, a marriage, um, and they were having, there was some other stuff happening with like mental health issues with like addiction. And, um, she was kind of exploring whether or not she thought she might be poly or if she was interested in some, some sort of non-monogamous relationship. And, um, and she brought this to her, her partner and said, um, this is something I'm interested in. This is something that I want to talk through with you. I'm not like, I'm not cheating on you. I'm not like Mm -hmm. going out and doing this, but this is something I want to talk about. And his response was a little bit over the top of like, how dare you even bring this up? Like, you're going to cheat on me. How dare, you know what I mean? It was kind of like this, this huge reaction. reaction. Yes. And so what I kind of gathered from that interaction was your relationship was kind of on the rocks already. Like you were, you weren't necessarily there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I'm, I think that that's the reaction a lot of people are expecting their partners to have when they first bring this up or kind of start testing the waters. And um, I'm curious kind of how you, how you would help a client establish some of that trust or, or even start having that conversation with a partner. And, and that's really one of the big barriers is that it requires courage, right? You have to do the scary thing. And, and there, there isn't a, a cheat code to make the scary thing not scary. It's scary for a reason. Um, although it's one of those things that, you know, I would tell the client, like, okay, so you're thinking about this. You're not going to not think about this. Like, it showed up in your brain for a reason. And if you tell your partner and they freak out, that is useful information. Like, that's, that's telling you something about where your relationship is with them. Um, it's telling you something about like, if they're having this insecure reaction, okay, then that's something to address, right? If they're feeling insecure, they're worried, like you need to address that as a, as a couple. Um, you, you mentioned when we, before we started talking about like rules and rules are one of the, one of the pitfalls a lot of new people fall into. Because there is this idea, and Jessica Fern, like I was reading Polysecure, which I absolutely recommend for every therapist, um, because she does a great job talking about attachment stuff and 
but like I'm, I'm in the middle of this book and I, I hit this passage that was like a flipping speed ramp, speed bump. Like you just, and just, and, and it, she talked about how we set rules thinking that that's going to protect the relationship. But the only thing that protects the relationship is a secure attachment. Right? We, we set up these rules thinking that the rules are going to protect us and the rules cannot protect you. Right? You know, we, we see the same thing with addiction, right? We tell our partner, you can't drink, right? We set this rule, you can't, you can't drink. Does that keep them from drinking? No, not even a little bit, right? The, the only thing that keeps them from drinking is them choosing not to drink. Mm-hmm. The only thing that keeps my wife from being unfaithful is her choice not to be unfaithful. And, and like one of the things I, I tell people like that often sort of makes my mind, makes their mind kind of blow was I, I had um, a swinger couple in my office. And, and, you know, so we're, we're doing the intake. I asked them, like, what, what they're there for. Mm-hmm. They were there for infidelity. Mm. Yeah, yeah. People, I'm like, well, because they had set rules, right? They had said, here's, here's the thing. Yeah. And husband, you're not going to have sex with people if I tell you don't have sex with that person. Mm. And he, he said, hey, I want to sleep with Billy. And, and wife said, yeah, do not, do not do that. And he did it anyway. And he lied about it. Mm. Right. The problem with infidelity is never the sex. It's the lying. It's the cheating. It's the hiding of things. That is always the problem. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether you're being unfaithful about sex with someone else or drinking or that you bought a new car. Like (laughs) it's that broken trust. It's the broken trust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, And so for, for therapists, like working with couples, you inevitably find yourself working on trust. Because mm-hmm. that is inevitably the problem, and and what the what caused the broken trust, whether it was financial irregularities or alcohol or sex, that mm-hmm. is a surface issue. It's the trust underneath that's the problem. Yeah, it's believing that your partner is going to do the things they say they're going to do mm-hmm. every time. So, with the swinger couple example that you gave. Um, I think, I think some people would listen to this podcast and maybe be like infidelity, like, is there infidelity in non-monogamous relationship? But, but what you're saying is the infidelity is the broken trust. It's, it's the that, broken trust. It's, yeah. Yep. I think that that makes perfect sense. That makes and, sense. And there absolutely is infidelity and cheating in non-monogamous land mm-hmm. um, because people set up rules and they set yep. up you know, here's what you're going to do. And Mm -hmm. then they don't do the things they say they're going to do. And that is what infidelity is. Yeah. Fidelity is trust. Yep. So when you're talking about ground rules or these different things, um, do you feel like there are some things that you encourage your clients to be having communication around or things that maybe you would say like, this rule doesn't doesn't usually work, or this this isn't something that I would recommend clients set up a rule around, or like how how do you go about some of these rules? When I was in grad school, I took a class on supervision, and and the professor said, you know, you're going you're going to be sitting in your office with a client, 
and they're going to say something. And you're going to go, oh, my God, I hope my, my, my supervisor never hears about this. <laughs> and as soon as that thought goes through your head, you need to immediately go find your supervisor and say, here's what just happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that is, you know, when I'm talking to couples and they're like, what, how, I'm like, here's a really good rule. As soon as you feel the urge to hide something, you need mm-hmm. to immediately go tell your, co- your partner about it. Mm-hmm. Because that is where the insecurity, that's where the infidelity comes in. As soon as you start like hiding that. things. Yeah. You know, so if you have this, like, I sat down with someone and like, they, they ha- you know, I was just having lunch with someone and then they, they grabbed my hand. I'm like, that's really weird. As soon as you had the, like, I hope she doesn't find out about this. <laughs> you need to tell them about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, it's not a hundred percent, but it's a really good long way down the road. Yeah. Cause there, there will be misunderstandings. There will be like, you know, times that stuff happens and you're like, I didn't think that was a big deal, but for your partner, it was absolutely a big deal. And, then you can like sort of, you have to sort of work through it. So let's say you have a client who, um, who want, who talks to their partner about, um, you know, I, I'm interested in this. I would like to explore this more. Um, and then like, would you recommend that? I guess I'm just thinking through like, like the rule that, um, you know, the swinger couple had where it's like, I yeah. need to be able to say. Have veto power. Her. Yeah. Veto power. Yeah. Like, is that, is that a common rule? Is that something? It, that it is a common a rule and it's a, it's almost always a problem. Oh, okay. Say more. Um, so, so, and, and like with swingers, part of what, what they're doing is they're keeping that emotional exclusivity really high. Yeah. Um, and so they often end up, if, if the other person is sort of isn't aware of that, like they end up hurting people, hmm. right? So, so I start dating this other woman um, or I start, you know, like having sex with her, right? And when you start having sex with people, you start developing feelings. It, that's just sort of the biochemistry there. But as soon as we start having those feelings, I got to end that relationship. Like, I can't sleep with you anymore. Mm-hmm. We're, ca- we're starting to catch feelings and that's bad, right? Um, and so what happens with veto power is that the the person outside that primary, because it's almost always couples. And, and in the poly community, you'll hear about like couple privilege. So what does like, that mean? So um, I and my wife are a, a couple, right? Mm-hmm. The, the woman I'm dating, she's not part of that couple. Mm-hmm. And so she will often, especially if there's like veto stuff going on, she'll experience a lot of insecurity because I might have feelings for her, but my wife can veto that relationship. Mm-hmm. So she's got this sort of sword of Damocles hanging over her head the whole time. Do I get to actually have a relationship? Do I get to actually have these feelings? Or can someone outside my relationship just end the relationship for no mm-hmm. reason? Yeah, because she's feeling because you know my wife's feeling insecure, so she says, "John, you can't see this woman anymore." Boom, mm-hmm. and just causes no, no, enormous emotional injury 
to this to the my other partner. Yeah. Without I me the people in that relationship being able to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and my early experiences with Polly, that was a problem mm-hmm. because when you know things would get insecure, there'd be a breakup, and like that. But neither of the people who were being broken up actually wanted to be broken up, <laughs> <laughs> right? It, well, it just so then how? But what if your what if your your couple or your your partner yeah. doesn't like the person you're dating? Like how how do you go about that? Well, that that is something you have to sort of work out. Now, ideally, yeah. they would say, "I don't like the person you're dating." Before you start dating them, <laughs> and then you'd go like, "Oh, hmm, okay," um, and and maybe spend some time thinking about that. Um, in in Polyland, one of the things that gets talked a lot about is NRE, new relationship energy. Mm. Um, now. This is not a new thing. This is um, infatuation. It's yeah. when you first oh, yeah. fall in love with someone, you're like, oh, they're yeah. fantastic and they're, everything about them is great. Um, <laughs> and that's just normal brain chemistry. That's how mm-hmm. your brain works. But in monogamy land, we don't usually think about that because when you have that, you're only seeing the one person. But of course, just because you're in a committed relationship with someone doesn't mean that you can't still have that happen. Um, and so, so poly people like they understand like, yeah, you're in a committed relationship with someone and then you start dating someone new and yeah, they're like totally like you, you get stupid mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you don't make good choices sometimes because you're in, mm-hmm. in NRE and like, that's one of the interesting things from Polyland is how do you deal with NRE when you've got a committed relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially like, I mean, you're going to be more excited about this other relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you make sure that you don't forget the person you came there with? How do you navigate that? That seems like, as someone who's monogamous, that seems like a lot, like that would be hard to (laughs) to juggle. It it can be. It it comes back to a lot of communication, a lot of, Checking in with your partner. Yeah. Um, you know, I I have not always dated people that my wife liked. Mm. Um, and and it has been a we've talked about it, and sometimes, you know, you end up like uh, people will talk about parallel poly or kitchen table poly. What does that um, mean? So parallel poly is that like I might have my wife and I might have another partner and they don't mm-hmm. interact. They, they, they exist mm. parallel. Um, and so I just sort of bounce back and forth between them yeah. where kitchen table is, we could all sit down at the kitchen table and have dinner and. Yep. But it doesn't mean your wife is in a relationship with this person. This is yep. your person. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what's it called when maybe your wife is also seeing this person? Um, that might be a thruple that, um, you know, for all in, in a relationship together, one of, one of the other things that, um, if you start hanging out in poly circles, you'll hear a lot is something called a unicorn hunter. Um, and so this is a, it's, it's especially common with couples 
who go out and they're searching for the hot buy babe. They're, they're searching for a third person to complete their, their couple. And they want that third person to be attracted to both of them, to love them equally. Like, and that is another one of the, in Polyland, that's a great big red flag floating around. Because again, it's not treating both relationships as genuine. Hmm. It's treating this person like they're an accessory. Sure. And sure. not an actual person. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I, have you ever had a throuple in couples therapy together? I, I have. I've had foursomes. Like, and what would be the issue that they're trying to work out? Like communication or something else? Um, sometimes it's communication. Um, in one case, one of the one of the people had some pretty serious depressive issues, mm. and that was sort of bleeding out into the rest of the relationships. Sure. Um, sometimes it's it's relationship stuff. It's mm-hmm. disagreements and and fighting about the kids and. Who does the garbage? Um, but you just, you know, if, if you have a couple, you have one relationship. If you have a throuple, you have three different relationships. Yeah. If, if you have, uh, you know, two couples, if you have a quad, then you have one, two, three, four, five, six different relationships. So as, oh. as the number of people goes up, the number of relationships. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the number, the areas of like potential conflict or yeah. like the need for more communication goes up. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I just don't know how you would be able to be in a throuple or be in um, a relationship like this without really stellar communication. Well, you can just like, you can like be a really bad driver. And... That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> you just have lots of accidents. Right, right. So what about if you are working with a client who, um, so I had a different client a couple of years ago who, um, she herself, um, did not identify as Polly or she was in a monogamous relationship and her partner came to her and said, Hey, um, I think I'm, I think I'm Polly. I'm interested in like exploring other relationships. So it's kind of like the, the other side of the coin mm-hmm. for the other client that I had had. But for this one, um, she, I was seeing her individually. We weren't doing relationship work. Um, we were really doing more around like anxiety and depression. And, um, she was like, my partner came to me, says that he is maybe interested in this other person, wants to talk to me about like, you know, being poly and, and for her, it did bring up a lot of insecurities in relationships and, um, and past those, relationships. Those are her things to work on, mm-hmm. right? She needs to own her insecurities. Yeah. And and so as a therapist, like you're like, okay, you need to work on your insecurities. Mm-hmm. What now, does this come now, up for you? Yeah. yeah. What comes up for you? Yeah. And then in the context of your relationship with this person, are you getting your needs met? Mm-hmm. Um. And that they're wanting to have this outside relationship has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. It's not about you at all, right? It's it's about them, and you know, I am one of those people who I am just a better person when I have more than one partner. Mm. 
Um, and, and so like that, that's just sort of the way I work. Um, I, I get real sort of depressed and sad when I, when I just have the one partner, mm-hmm. which is uh, it, nothing about my wife. Like that has nothing. It's just about yes. how, how this seems to work. Well, and I think we got there with her eventually. Like we had, it was, we we did a lot of really good work around what, what this conversation and what this means for you, what this brings up, what this, you know, exploring past relationships. And um, I think we got there, but I'm, I immediately her reaction to her partner and like the conversations she was having with him were, we can, we can talk about this, but you're not allowed to act on it yet. Like, this is not something that we're still in a monogamous relationship. Um, And I, and she herself didn't identify as, you know, non-monogamous, wanted to kind of just sit with her own identity and figure out what this meant for her. But um, is it fair for, for her or for other people to be like, no, you can't do this yet. Like, no, like you need to wait. Um. I don't know if fair is the word I would use. <laughs> sure. Um, it's certainly something that they can do, but it's also dangerous. Because when, when you've got a partner that says, I don't think I'm monogamous. Mm-hmm. Um, or like says, I don't think that I can live a life without riding motorcycles or like whatever the thing is, right? When, when a partner says, I have this thing that is important to me. Yeah. And if you try to say, you can't do that thing. Mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of options as to how that works out. Mm-hmm. It's possible that they say, you know what? I can live without that thing. Yeah. And and they're perfectly happy or they're reasonably enough happy. Right. Um, it's possible that they will come to a point where they say, I can't live without model trains. You're saying I can't have model trains in the house. Like this, this is a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to make the choice to end the relationship because if the choice is either do this thing that's important to me or be with you Mm -hmm. and and they just can't manage without it. Mm -hmm. Or or I suppose the third thing is you figure out how to make space for whatever that thing is in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, So when people come, there is a, a, a reasonable length of time to say, I need to adjust to this. Um, but at a certain point, they need to let, they need to work through their own stuff and they have to say, you know what, you do this thing that's important to you, mm-hmm. even though I am uncomfortable, right? Because mm-hmm. people say, I don't want you to do it till I'm comfortable. Yeah. You never get to comfortable, mm-hmm. right? Like if we tell people, you don't worry about your anxiety, like do the thing, don't do the thing that you're anxious about until you're comfortable with it. They never do it, right? They have to be uncomfortable and do the thing anyway. This is this is not any different than that, right? If, you, if your partner says, I'm, I'm poly and I want to explore this relationship with this other person, you get sometimes say, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this, I need to adjust. Mm-hmm. But you don't get to say, only when I'm comfortable can you do this. Sure. So would you in that scenario then be like, how do we, how do we get you to a point where you're feeling more secure individually, but also how do we get this, this relationship to a point where there's more trust and trying to. 
like open up some of that communication? I would really focus on on the trust and the communication and the, you know, is your partner doing things that you can count on? Mm-hmm. It's actually a really good sign that they came to you and said, this is something that's in my head. Yeah. Because that was probably really scary for them. Um, and they did it. And they're not saying, hey, so you remember where I went to Vegas? <laughs> Funny, th- right? They're not confessing. You didn't catch true, them. True. Right? They're they're trying to be upfront about this. And, and you want to honor that. You don't yeah. want to squash that impulse to say hard things. Because that's what trust is built on. And so, like, working with a client on their insecurities and what does this mean about you? Um, there's a lot of great work in the positive world about um, uh, how to deal with infidelity, mm. um, uh, how to deal with that that jealousy and insecurity about, you know, my partner. And, and I think they have a great point. Like, if you can deal with your partner going and sleeping with someone else, you, you can, like monogamous people, you can deal with your partner going off to, like, go have a weekend with the boys hunting or something, Mm -hmm. right? Whatever that insecurity is. And some of that is about a big part of the sort of technique there is about understanding how you're interpreting the other person's behavior, like what it says about you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my partner is going to sleep with someone else. Does that mean I'm not attractive? Does that mean Mm -hmm. they don't love me? Like, because that's the hard part that you're struggling with is what it says about you as a person. And learning to understand that, no, my partner loves me and they find me attractive. They just also find this other person attractive. My, my wife does find it terribly amusing that I very clearly have a type. <laughs> because she, she and my girlfriend get along really great and they're like scarily identical. Like oh, it's, that it's is really so kind funny. of distressing sometimes. So um, I appreciate how much self-disclosure you're giving on this podcast too. I, I think it's really helpful, John. And um, I'm curious, like, would your wife consider herself in a poly relationship? Is she also seeing people or? Um, is she, she is, con- she is not seeing other people, um, mm-hmm. but I, I do believe she would consider herself poly. Okay. Um, so that was part of my question too, where it's like, so with the client example I just gave, um, so, like, if you are a person who, like, your partner is coming to you and saying, I'm, I'm, in, I'm poly, you know, I'm, I want to start seeing other people as well. Um, would my client still consider herself non-monogamous if she's not seeing someone outside of that? That's really her. It's an orientation question. Yeah. Right. You can, you can be gay and not be dating anyone. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't mean you're not gay just because you're single, <laughs> right? Yeah. She she might be monogamous <laughs> uh-huh. and say, you know what? I'm not actually interested in anyone but my partner. Yeah. Like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Um, and and monopoly is a, a thing that exists. Where is that one, when... one person is, is poly and they have multiple relationships, yep. but they also have a relationship with someone who, like, no, I'm, I'm good. Like, mm-hmm. I honestly can't handle more than one person. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. That's, I didn't know that that term existed. So that makes a lot of sense, but, um, 
this is so helpful. What do you feel like are some other things that you typically are working on with, um, with members of the poly community or like with thruples or what are some things that you're seeing some issues that arise or things that you feel like therapists should know? Well, so, so the, um, the thing that I think therapists should know is really just poly people are just people. Like, like if you've done family therapy, you can work with a quad. Like the skills are literally the same, right? If you're figuring out how do I get mom, dad, and their two older kids to work out who takes out the garbage, you can work with two couples to figure out how to take out the garbage. Like attachment is attachment is attachment. The, the attachment system, how we connect and build deep loving relationships with other people is foundational to all relationships and it's not different, right? The, the working with someone who's having a hard time managing their relationship with their mom and their dad who are separated and who they both love isn't any different than a person and their two romantic partners who don't get along. It, it, it's all the same. And, and sometimes I think we as therapists get stuck on the, like imagining the sex part, which is, which is why I, you know, brought in weird, like other things because it's never about the sex. It's always about the relationships. And if as a therapist, you focus on the relationships, you already know what to do. Um, because most of the poly people that I worked with, it, it's almost never the sex stuff. It's relationships. It's depression. It's anxiety. It's PTSD. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and and so as therapists, getting like thirty minutes of reading about different poly terms and understanding what they mean mm-hmm. will help you so much with this community. Because once you kind of demonstrate, like, yes, I know what a metamor is. Yeah. I yeah. Th- then they go, oh, we don't have to explain all this stuff. They're not going to judge us for like having multiple partners. It, it'll it'll build all that communication, and you almost always have the skills you need to address the issues that they have. Absolutely. I mean, I I appreciate that, and I think that what you're saying makes so much sense. Um, do you feel like there's any any terms or things that we've we haven't talked about yet or things that we feel like we should bring up um couples so we've kind of touched on the idea of a polycule mm-hmm. and a polycule is, is sort of just the genogram of all the different relationships um and and the term came up because when you start like diagramming like okay bob's seeing phil and phil is seeing joe's so like and you just start drawing out that network Yep. It, you get some weird looking molecules. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. I, nothing is coming to mind, which is, which That's is, a, there's a whole bunch of terms. And um, I think I've got a glossary page somewhere of, of like different terms and sort of what they mean. Um, we talked briefly about couple privilege. Yeah. Um, Quick question. Yeah. How, and I, I think I already know what your response is going to be for this, but do you feel like when you throw kids into the mix, like how does that change things? Does it? Nope. Kids are kids. Kids are smart. Again, we, we as adults get stuck on the sex stuff. Mm-hmm. 
kids don't care about the sex stuff. They care about who's picking them up after tennis practice. Yeah. Right. And, and so like we have this idea that like one of the things I tell people is parents that get very concerned, like the rules at mom's house need to be same at rules at dad's mm. house. I'm like, do, do you worry that your rules are the same as school? And they go, no. Like if your kids are smart to figure out that the rules at school are different than the rules at home, they can figure out the rules at mom's house are different than the rules at dad's house. And they'll, they'll just adapt. Right. If you tell, tell the kids, Hey, this is mommy's boyfriend and this is, mm-hmm. this is daddy. And okay. More than one person loves mom. Cool. Like they almost never care. Mm-hmm. Like the things they care about are, am I going to get teased at school? Are, are other people, because they know how social people, how people react to this stuff. That feels weird and different. But, you know, as long as everyone is getting along and people care about each other, they don't usually seem to have much of a reaction. Yeah. So what I'm guessing you're saying, or what I'm guessing you would recommend is that you're not like hiding relationships from your kids and that you are modeling good communication. You're modeling kind of some of that stuff. Secrets are toxic. Yeah. Like, like beer is toxic Mm. too. You can handle small amounts of toxicity, (laughs) but really better if you don't. Yeah. Secrets are toxic. Well, this has been so helpful, John. Thank you so much for joining. I, I feel like I learned so much. I, I appreciate you coming on here and educating me and educating um, all of the people listening to about some of these different terms and structures and, um, and really reiterating to the basics of couples therapy that honestly just are the same. It's yep. just, it's all, it's all the same. It's all just, just trying to familiarize and, and educate yourself about kind of the different terms and, and find yourself as an ally, but also, um, not, not othering or not like over, I guess what I'm trying to say is like over complicate it. Yeah. But. It's, it's not super complicated. <laughs> well, awesome. This has been so helpful. Um, if you are a listener that is a part of the Ellie network, you're a therapist with Ellie, then be sure to listen to John's amazing three hour training on this as well, where you dive into a lot more. It, it is, I am very pleased with it. Um, and there's a ton of information awesome. in, that, in that thing. And like I have diagrams and stuff. Yeah. And I believe if you're not a part, if you're not an LA therapist, then you can actually purchase the CEU as well or purchase access. So I can include the link in the description as well. But thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure.